Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, Episode 10. The MTG Goldfish crew here, as always, here with me. So we have Richard and Seth. How's it going, guys? Good. Hey, good. All right. So Episode 10, we have on our plate, we're going to talk about PAX East. So that happened since the last time we got together here. And some more Dragons of Tarkir spoilers. So that's really what we're going to cover today. Uh, we're going to talk about a few specific spoilers and we're going to cover everything that went on at PAX East. So just to do a brief recap of PAX East, we got Modern Masters 2, a couple cards confirmed. We have uh, Origins, and we have the return to Zendikar. So let's tackle PAX East first. So I'm going to open up to you first, Richard, just overall uh, initial reactions to PAX. Yeah, so it was very exciting. Uh, we got... Spoilers from three sets, Modern Masters 2, Magic Origins, and Battle for Zendikar, in addition to uh, the new Dragons of Tarkir spoilers where we saw the new Sarkin. The favorite news for me was the Magic Origins news. Uh, we got to see what the new Planeswalkers looked like, and we're getting uh, dual-faced Planeswalkers that flip. So this is with Manifest, so apparently cards will have three sides now, face-up, flipped, and Manifested. So it's very interesting, and it's very full of flavors, so I'm loving the new Liliana card so far. Yeah, so we talked about a, co- a few podcasts ago about kind of speculation about what they would include, and we were all, like, half right. I mean, no pun intended. Like, they kind of did exactly what we were going to say, but combined them together. We said they were going to be a legendary card and a Planeswalker card, and they just kind of fused them together. So, Seth, what do you think? I uh I watched the stream and uh it was really exciting. There was lots of big news as Richard mentioned. I think Liliana is definitely flavorful and that's exciting. But for me I think uh having Goyf and Karn confirmed in Modern Masters twenty fifteen is a big uh financial news. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out and how prices are affected by these three prints. I didn't think we were gonna get like you said, Richard, I didn't think we were gonna get that much news in one all at PAX either. I I thought it was really interesting that they kind of just spoiled all this stuff. So we got Dragon stuff, we got uh, Modern Masters 2, they spoiled Goyf and Karn. You're right, Seth, uh, that has a lot of implications just for Modern in general, bringing down that initial barrier. And yeah, a lot of financial implications. So uh, Karn was an interesting one too, but sort of a little more, I I think it was um, more expected than Goyf. Uh, Goyf was kind of up in the air because of all the limitations to those mythics. So we're going to go individually now. Uh, we'll start with Modern Masters 2 first, then we'll talk about Origins, and then finally the Zendikar announcement, and we'll speculate a little bit about that before we go into the spoilers. So Modern Masters 2, what do you think, Richard? Yeah, so so far we know that Tarmogoyf, Karn, Emrakul, and Etch Champion are the cards. Aside from Etch Champion, those three, those three other mythics, uh, soak up a lot of value. So the MSRP is $10 per pack. So it'll be interesting to see what the other cards they add to the set are to make it worth opening a $10 pack. So that's what I'm waiting for. Um, not terribly excited with Goyf at Mythic. I was hoping they'd bring him down to rare, but realistically that probably wasn't going to happen. But, you know, my question to Seth is where will Goyf land now that we know he's a Mythic? You know, how much should I be waiting for for my Goyf to drop in value? There was a re- really good big discussion on Reddit this week um, on exactly that topic. Some people think that it's not going to lose that much. Others are thinking that it's going to be under $100. Uh, 
I'm reserving my judgment until we see just how much of Modern Masters in print is printed. To me, that's the big variable that no one knows. I know uh, another uh, financial writer, James Chilcott. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, James. He was number crunching, and I, I know you saw that, Seth. It was over Twitter and Reddit. Just kind of a lot of discussion about Tarmogoyf. I don't know where it's initially going to end up, but I will say that the 150 plus, you know, North copies of Tarmogoyf are going to start coming to an end. The, the one thing I keep bringing up, we don't know the supply, but we do know that it's more, it, it's at least three times as much as it was last time because of all these releases in different countries. I don't know if those, you know, different language uh, copies are going to do anything, but we know that it's a lot larger than last time. And one thing math that really can't determine is what sellers now are, or what buyers are now going to think when, oh, well, every time a Modern Masters comes out now, they're just going to include Goyf. So why am I paying 175, you know, 150 plus dollars on a card that, you know, two years from now is just going to get reprinted again and again and again? And that's assuming that they keep it only in Modern Masters and at a bi-yearly release. So what do you what do you think about that? I mean, I think that's true. Uh, eventually, I mean, it speaks to the confidence thing that we talked a little bit about with the birthing pod bannings. Like, while reprints are great and they bring down the barrier to entry, the more these happen, the more it makes you wonder, is it really worth to put a ton of money into a modern deck? So I think you're dead on there, and we really don't know how that's going to affect buyers. I do think that Tarmogoyf is a unique case. It's the most like chase, uh, most desired card in modern. So that's going to help. There's a price memory uh, there where people are probably more willing to put out for Goyf than a lot of other cards. But just how much they're willing to pe- uh, to put out once it keeps getting reprinted, I'm not sure. Richard, did you want to chime in on any of this? No, I just want some Goyf for Legacy, but I refuse to pay over $100 of Goyf. <laughs> I think they were doing like a duality here where they were trying to not make Tarmogoyf as dominant and at the same time they want to include reprints. So I think it's just looking at a more meta value of not just reprinting the Goyf, that there's other variables coming into this as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that too, Seth? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot going on in when... When you have a card like Goyf that's reprinted, and as we're going to talk about momentarily, Zendikar, when you have a lot of these expensive cards reprinted, that does a lot of stuff to the overall price of the format. Other cards that aren't reprinted and are part of those decks are likely going to increase in price. Like, that's the thing I think people miss sometimes, is Modern is never going to be a cheap format. Like, you can keep reprinting these things, and the other cards that haven't been reprinted are going to soak up a lot of that missing value and still make Modern more expensive than Standard, for example. Kind of last thought on, on Modern Masters. So do you think this sort of puts a permanent damper on uh, the ceiling of Tarmogoyf or, uh, initially or permanently? Do you think it'll appreciate in between these sort of uh, bi-yearly sets of Modern Masters? Well, like I said before, so much of it comes down to supply. If Modern Masters is somehow similar to a big fall set in supply, then yes, the value of Tarmogoyf is going to be forever altered. If it's still very limited and it is, we know it's a mythic, like there's a chance that it's going to start climbing again in between these reprintings, at least for this reprinting. If there's, if it happens again in two years and two years after that, 
there is a tipping point where it just can't keep gaining in value. There'll just be too much supply out there. So for people that are listening to this for, you know, MTG Finance input, Seth, so if you were a a Goyf playset owner, would you have sold your Goyfs after hearing this announcement? I would have listed them uh, that afternoon as soon as I saw it on the pack stream. Full disclosure, I was a Goyf owner. I I did exactly what Seth uh, did. I think um, regardless of what happens, I think the days of that Tarmogoyf, that old price is kind of over. And that's just sort of leaving money on the table. Obviously, if you're using your Goyfs now, keep them because you're using them. But if you are holding them for some reason or thinking they were going to be safe, sooner or later, they're really not going to be safe. And selling them now, honestly, just kind of absolves all of that uh, sitting and praying thing where you have to keep your eyes glued to every single set, hoping that they don't print Tarmogoyf. Obviously, they did it before. They obviously are now doing it again. So they're just going to keep doing it if it's needed. So, all right, that kind of wraps up Modern Masters. Let's go into Origins. So, Richard, we kind of took up a lot of time there. Why don't you talk about Origins for us? Yep, so they unveiled double face planes lockers, and they gave us Liliana Heretical Healer and Liliana Defiant Necromancer. So Liliana Heretical Healer is a black-black, one-colorless legendary creature. Uh, she's a 2-3 with lifelink, and whenever another creature, uh, non-token creature you control dies, exile Liliana Heretical Healer, then return her to the battlefield, transformed under her owner's control. Uh, if you do, put a 2-2 black zombie onto the battlefield. And uh, her other side, which is Liliana Defiant Necromancer, uh, is a planeswalker with three loyalty, and you get a plus two, each player discards a card, minus X, return target non-legendary creature with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield, and her ultimate is minus eight. You get an emblem of... When a creature dies, return to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. So this tells the story of uh, she, she tried to save her brother, and uh, she screwed it up and turned him into a zombie, uh, turned him into a zombie, and her spark ignited and became a planeswalker. So that explains the 2-2 black zombie creature token. And I really like it because from a gameplay perspective, it's something cool you can do, and you get a 2-2 zombie blocker to protect your planeswalker. So you can kill your Liliana, get a 2-2 zombie, and then make people uh, discard. So I think it's going to be a strong card. It's going to see play in standard. I'm not sure about eternal formats. I, I don't know if this is uh, strong enough, but I'm definitely excited to jam it into my next standard deck. Yeah, it, it certainly seems interesting. Uh, so not only do you get the Planeswalker, you get a zombie when it flips as well. I think it's very strong. Uh, do you think the other Planeswalkers will be around that mana cost, or you think they could be all over the place, Richard? I'm not sure. From a flavor perspective, like, they're supposed to be kind of like weak humans or, you know, kind of legendary creatures, so typically those are fairly low-costed, but I don't know, maybe you'll see a five-mana Gideon? I, I have no idea. But hopefully we'll see them low mana cost, so they'll be competitive and we can play them in standard. Seth, what do you think, uh, Origins and Liliana? Well, Lilian is awesome. I'm not a big flavor guy, but when I heard her story, I don't know if either of you guys watch Walking Dead. She kind of yep. reminds me of the governor that had the zombie daughter that he kept. Yeah, in. yeah. Yeah, so that's what that story made me think of. So I'm focused more on the competitive aspect. I think she's pretty decent. One thing I like is 
correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have a Liliana out, you can play a second one and Legend rule that one to flip the first one. So that kind of yes. So that would do that. minimize yes. the downside of playing multiple legendary creatures. Um, so I think that the plus two uh, for dis- each player discards is that's a really powerful ability. Like li- uh, the original Liliana of the Veil was plus one uh, for the same ability, and this is twice as much loyalty. So going up to five on the turn she comes into play, I think is is very good. And I like how the card synergizes with itself. Like they try to do this with planeswalkers, but to be able to discard a creature and then reanimate it, I think it's definitely going to see play in, uh, in standard. I'm not sure how the flip thing will work in modern. Like I tend to think if you're playing three mana, you're just going to want Liliana the veil in modern, but we'll see. Carl, (laughs) (laughs) Carl. Uh, I like the walking dead reference. And I liked your little pun, uh, Richard, when you said unveiled Liliana. You thought I wouldn't catch that, did you? <laughs> yeah, a little LSV uh, in me, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really good Planeswalker. And I'm very excited to see that they really pushed, like, the design aspect of this. You know, I'm not, like you said, I'm not really, like, a story guy, Seth. Um, and, you know, I just, but I like seeing good design, and this is a very creative way to not just jam, like, another set of planeswalkers into the set. I think it's really cool that you get like a kind of little backstory just in the card itself. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the other planeswalkers. I'm just really disappointed that uh, Garak is not going to be in this one, (laughs) but you know, I, I guess I just don't care. So, so any kind of final thoughts on origins? We got another spoiler too, right? Vengevine. What? Yeah, we did know that that's going to be in there from the uh, video. Yeah, they. Oh. Can you, there was a yeah. trailer video for the Magic Origins, um, the video game, and in that there was a picture of Vengevine. So a lot of people are saying Vengevine be included in the set. Well, the thing is though, if this is like other duels of the Planeswalkers, uh, reprinted cards don't necessarily work that way. If it's a new card, it's always, always, always in the set. If it's a reprint, it's hit or miss. Yeah. So for now, we'll just assume that it's in there, but it's not confirmed. I did want to anyone listening. I did want to yeah, say real quick on Origins, like uh, double face cards change the whole printing process of a set. So a lot of people are saying, and I think they might be right, this might be the only chance Wizards has for a while to reprint things like Huntmaster of the Fells, Delver of Secrets, any double face cards that might need reprinting. So I think uh, that's something to be aware of as far as maybe foil Delvers. I know Huntmaster is not super expensive, uh, so I think there's a chance that some of those cards get reprinted. Yeah, you could be right about that. Yeah, that, that is, this is like a very small window for them to do that, so we'll see if they actually go forward with that. All right, so moving on, then we had the big announcement. So we're going back to Zendikar, and Richard, I'll start us off. Yeah, so I wasn't playing Magic when Zendikar came out originally, so I have no idea what's up. But from what I understand, <laughs> uh, we're going to get full art basic lands, or that was, at least that was in the original Zendikar. Uh, you know, fetch lands, obviously the enemy fetch lands, and man lands. So the thing I'm most excited for here are, outside the fetch lands, obviously, are the man lands. I'm looking for some man land reprints, or maybe some new man lands. Uh, man lands are always a staple in eternal formats, so I'm really excited to see what man lands come up. Seth? I mean, fetches, I think, are the big news. We were talking about lowering the barrier of entry into modern. 
And having another set of fetches come out is, is huge news as far as that goes. As far as Zendikar itself, I wasn't a fan. I hated Zendikar Limited. It was just so yeah. fast and not fun for me. So we'll see if the limited environment is, at least for me, more appealing this time around. Yeah, so I was playing the game when the first Zendikar was around. It it was really interesting, and I'm glad that we're going back as, as kind of like this tying up of this large story arc that they've been building uh, with Ugin and Sarkhan and th- these, these kind of uh, Hadrons and all this stuff. So we could see a lot of stuff happening on Zendikar, whether they reprint the big three Eldrazi is going to be um, a thing, or if they introduce a whole new batch of Eldrazi's, because assumingly we're not, we may not have to wait for the Eldrazi to be in the, in the block. Uh, since they've already been there, we could see them as early as the first set. So it's going to be interesting how they work that in there. I'm interested to seeing the fetches. Uh, we got fetches before, so again, that's bringing down the barrier of modern. And uh, so it would be interesting. We might get, um, what do you think of, like, enemy color man lands this time? Could it happen? I think the enemy fetch lands are definitely a possibility. I'm also holding out hope that they might uh, show up in dragons. Because there is a land cycle yet to be revealed, and lands that turn into dragons would be pretty flavorful. But I do think enemy fetch lands are going to come up eventually. Yeah, or man lands, right? Man lands, I'm sorry, yeah. Still stuck <laughs> on fetches. <laughs> yeah, so any kind of final thoughts on Zendikar? You guys excited? Yeah, so what are your guys' thoughts on full art basics? Is everyone going to be running them in their decks? Are they going to be special? Like, does anyone care? I personally don't care about full art basics, but I know a lot of people do. Yeah, if they do, like, the full arts again, I'm assuming they will. Yeah, I think everyone at this point will be running them. I mean, I care financially, but I'll take Mirage Basics every day. Those are my favorites. Yeah. So how, White Bordered Basics. How, how much are, <laughs> how much do you think they'll sell for while they're in, um, you know, while they're being opened? How much would a basic run me? I don't know, because, I mean, when I was playing during Zendikar, it wasn't like, a big thing because they they put them in fat packs so you got a stack of them in a fat pack so it wasn't really like people were scrambling to get them it wasn't until later on that people really started wanting them i think it'll be interesting because people know enough now to hoard them the financial community so i think if they are cheap people are going to buy them like crazy and just have boxes stuff in the, stuffed in their rooms for down the road but if they do that <laughs> then the price is going to go up because they're they're eating up the supply with their hoarding. So I really don't know where it'll come down, why they're legal and yeah. standard. And I mean, once the price goes up enough, it'll instantly crash because now you have all these people like suddenly flooding the market with all these hoarded full arts. My advice, if, you're have, if you have full arts around, I would just get rid of them. I mean, right now is probably the highest they're going to be. So, but who knows? I mean, people really are like touchy with that border. That new, the new borders, so who knows? Maybe just keep them. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Definitely hold on. If you have uh, unhinged or unglued uh, lands, oh, yeah, hold on yeah. to those. But the original Zendikar, they might be worth getting rid of, especially non-foils. Yeah, especially non-foils. If you have them in like a bulk box somewhere, I would just get rid of them. So any final thoughts, Zendikar? All right. So we have more... Dragons of Tarkir spoilers since we last did the cast. But before we go into them, um, just a quick reaction to what we had last week and what happened 
you know, with the spoilers for Dragons this week. Are you liking the set more? We still we're still only at as of today 310 uh 88 out of 264. So, thoughts, Richard? I've been very excited because for some reason Wizards deciding to put an entire like mono red red deck wins deck into this set. They've been spoiling a lot of cheap aggressive creatures. So, I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. We're not seeing, you know, the 10 mana mythics. We're seeing a lot of three under mythics and uh, rares being playable. Seth. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> oh, no. I know uh, where you're going. Crushed. Dream crushed. They crushed your dream. Haven of the Spirit Dragon. So, yeah. This was a, I can understand if you're not, like, in a good mood. This was a bad morning. I woke up this morning to my Twitter feed being just full of people making fun of me for my Crucible of Spirit Dragons. Yeah, I I'm I don't know. I I don't know why they print a strictly better Dragonland one set after they printed Crucible. It just seems odd to me. Like I don't get it. Uh Yeah, so yeah. it hasn't been a great day. <laughs> <laughs> I've been busy sharpening sharpening if you've seen my Twitter. Sharpening yeah, sharpening yeah, Haven saw. over Crucible on my Spirit Dragons. I'm hoping I can ship some out to people and they won't notice. Yeah, so if you're not, uh, yeah, you should follow um, Saffron uh, Olive on Twitter to see his new, new and improved Spirit Dra- uh, Crucible of the Spirit Dragon cards, Sharpie included. You can inquire about uh, purchasing them. If you want me to alter your Crucibles, you can send them to me. <laughs> I'll turn them into Havens and send them back. How much? How much does that cost me? I'm interested in getting 45 done. <laughs> um, if uh, just include postage and I'll do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there you have it a uh, full crucible of the spirit dragon altering service by seth all right so uh yeah i'm pretty excited and we're only 88 out of 264 it's like we already have a lot of good stuff to kind of digest i'm just i guess we're gonna end up getting to a lot of the limited stuff here soon but we already had a few good limited cards right yeah yeah there's there's some stuff that looks really cool yeah, so myself, Seth, and Richard came up with five cards this time. So we're going to talk about the new Sarkhan. Then we have Dragonlord Ojutai, Assault Formation, Coalgen's Command, and Collected Company. So we're going to go into each of those. We'll explain the cards and our reactions to them. All right, so Sarkhan. So we have two generic, a green, a blue, and a red. Comes in with four loyalty. Plus one, draw a card, then add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Minus two, put a 4-4 red dragon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. And minus eight, search your library for any number of dragon creature cards and put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. All right, so Richard, what do you think? Uh, His abilities are really good. So the only question is, is there a teamer deck for him to go in? Right, His plus one is draw a card, add a mana. Can never go wrong with that. His minus two is out of four four dragon, so a five mana four four flying dragon is not terrible on its own, right? But you know, if he goes uncontested, you get minimum two if you want to just minus him twice in a row. So you would get eight eight power worth of dragons. So I think he's very playable and standard. So the question is, is there a teamer shell that he can go into and, you know, it will he be part of a uh, cohesive deck or not? Yeah, Seth, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. Out of all the clans from Khans, uh, Teemer has definitely been the worst one in Constructed. So the question is if Teemer's going to be good. Uh, Sharkin is good. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, draw a card, basically create a broodmate dragon. Like, in, in its worst case, you pay five and theoretically get two dragons. As Richard said, sometimes you'll get one, but two four four flyers for five mana is... That's a good card. Broodmate saw play. So I don't think it's him. I think it's a matter of the deck coming together and Teamer being an actual player in standard. Yeah, I, I, I like the Planeswalker. I think he's good. I think the, the questions that you both brought up are the biggest question mark of this card is where is he really going to go? He's super restricted on, on his colors. Um, so he basically has to go into those, those Teamer colors, rug. Yeah, his abilities are strong, and if he goes uncontested, he can protect himself with a, a large flying evasive creature. Uh, he draws you a card, which is always great for a planeswalker, adds mana, so he kind of ramps you. And his, his ultimate, I mean, I don't, I mean, if you're playing a lot of dragons, I guess it's great, but I mean, I wouldn't even really want to ultimate. I would just keep minus two if I could. So, powerful card, I don't know, just from a financial standpoint, uh, little anecdote. I don't know if he's worth the pre-order price now. I'm, I'm certain he's gonna fall from that point where Narset might end up holding a good solid ground. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna end up commanding a lot. So, uh, any kind of final thoughts on Sarkan? Unbroken? So do you think we'll see more of Sarkin or more of Narset in standard? What's your prediction? Definitely Narset. Just a, a gut initial reaction, though. I think it's Sarkin. I mean, Narset is just as restrictive. Maybe her colors aren't as restrictive because she's only two colors instead of three. But you have to play so many spells, you can't really just stick her in any blue-white deck. So I think it's Sarkin. Yeah, I think I yeah. agree with Seth. I think you'll always jam Sarkin into your deck. Like I would probably even splash a third color just to play Sarkin. Whereas Narset requires like a really... Um, you know, a really build-around-me deck that's very custom to her. I think the reason I really... Uh, I'm the only one leading to Narset is because I think in those colors, and again, it's splashable, not not as restrictive, so you can kind of add that third color. I think there's just more tools in those colors that uh, work well with her rather than Sarkhan in, like, a very... You know, you have to be Teamer, so you need, like... I don't know if Teamer's really there as, like, as a... I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he is powerful, so don't get me wrong on that. All right, so moving along to what I think is a great card. Certainly, I think is underpriced right now, just from a financial standpoint. But I guess I'm I I guess I'm wrong because uh, it's been like that for a while. So so Dragonlord Ojutai, three generic, a blue and a white, uh, Elder Dragon. So flying five four a uh, five four with flying. Dragonlord Ojutai has hexproof as long as it's untapped. Whenever Dragonlord Ojutai deals combat damage to a player, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So, Richard, what do you think of the Dragonlord? Yep, so a lot of people are excited for him as a control finisher. So you basically slap him onto the board, and uh, you know you're, you're tapped out, but he has hexproof. And you're not going to attack until you have enough counter spells in hand to defend them. And at which point you attack, hit them, and then uh, get a draw card, basically. Or look at the top three cards and take one. 
I'm not too excited about him. I mean, he's just a control finisher. I don't think I don't think he can stabilize the game as well as other cards. So he's just kind of a finisher. Um, so he he does that well. But you know, it's like is he much better than Prognostic Sphinx? Like I don't know. Were people that excited for Prognostic Sphinx? Eh. So I'm kind of neutral on him. He has a good card. I think he'll see play, but I don't think he's a game changer. I don't think he's gonna push some control deck over the top or anything like that. Yeah. Seth, what do you think? Well, Richard stole my thunder a little bit. When I first saw this card, I asked myself, is this really better than Prognostic Sphinx? And I'm actually not convinced that it is. Like, the ability's better. Drawing a card is obviously better than just scrying three, but Hexproof on Prognostic Sphinx is a lot more consistent. Like, discarding a card is a lot easier in a control deck than always staying untapped. And this one, the Ojitai, dies to Elspeth, where Prognostic Sphinx gets around that and kills Elspeth pretty easily. So I think right now, there, for me, there's a debate which card is better. Not to mention the mana cost, where you need to be in white for Ojitai when Prognostic Sphinx can go into blue-black control, for example. Yeah, those are great points. So, like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I guess I'm the only one behind this, and that's okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so why do you like Dragonlord Ojitai? Why... I just, in terms of, like, a power level, you know, I'm looking at, you know, pre-order prices, and this is just like a pre-order price standpoint. You know, I looked at Ojutai, and I'm like, well, that's a pretty good card. And I saw, like, it was initially up for $4.99, and then I saw Dragonlord Dramoka up for, like, $7.99 or something like that. I I I think it was $7.99. And I was like, I mean, does that really... Is that really better, a lot, that much better than Ojutai? I don't know if, like, do green-white decks really need Dragonlord Dramoka? Like, I, I don't know. Um, I just, I think it's, I think it's good. I, I, I like it as a control finisher. I don't know, yeah, you, you make a great point, uh, Richard, that control finishers don't really command a high premium. Uh, sometimes they do, but most of the times they really don't. I don't know, I just kind of think it was a very good, well-costed, uh, efficient, you know, evasive finisher that can net you some cards. And at first it didn't seem that great, but then they started spoiling cards like um, Silmgar Scorn, and I started to get a little more optimistic about it, since you know you could play them in the same deck. So I, I'm still excited for it. I don't know if it's going to like carve its way into standard at the moment, but I think at some point you know, that narrative will probably change. So I guess I'm kind of looking at more sort of long-term for this card. I don't know if that's really, like, a good answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, we might uh, actually be looking at it wrong altogether. It might just go in some kind of, like, Jeskai mid-range deck, right? Yeah, it, it someone is a brought up... Four, it attacks, right? <laughs> yeah, someone brought up um, playing Jeskai Ascendancy with this and being able to net the card and then, like, playing a spell to untap it. So it has Hexproof again, if, in case they try to go target it. I don't know if that's really a gimmick or yeah, very a lot strong. Of work for Hexproof. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's definitely not like Pristine Angel back in the day. But I guess now, I guess Pristine Angel's not really that good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. So, Assault Formation. And this was more recently spoiled. So, it's a green enchantment. One in a green uh, each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. One green, 
Target creature with defender can attack this turn as though it didn't have defender. And then two generic and a green. Creatures you control get plus O plus one until end of turn. So, Richard, what do you think about this very Doran uh, enchantment card? Yeah, so a lot of people are excited for another Doran piece, and I'm not sure you actually need to go all the way there. I think it's highly serviceable as, like, a two-of in an Abzan deck. Like, your Caritids become three-threes, or sorry, your Sylvan Caritids become three-threes, your Course of Crufixes become four-fours, and your Siege Rhinos become five-fives to um, battle other Siege Rhinos. So I think this card is just playable as is, and you just kind of stick it into a... You know, an abs in mid-range shell, and it's good to go. You don't need to play weird zero six and zero seven walls to make it work. So I think we'll see this card in play. I think definitely sideboard tech, um, whether it makes it to the main deck or not, uh, we'll see. Yeah, Seth, what do you think? Well, I think Richard's right about competitive play. To me, this card is something casual players will really like. Um, it's got like two rares stapled together. You got Doran, plus you have, like, the Living Wall ability, plus you have the pseudo, like, Crusade effect. So I think it's something that casual players are really going to want to build around. As far as Constructed, like Richard said, maybe one or two of, maybe sideboard, but I think it's going to be four of on some kitchen tables. Yeah, definitely. I'm in full agreement with uh, both of your assessments with this card. Um, I think foils are probably going to be good. Somewhere down the line, maybe. I don't know, like, how... It's not really, like... I don't know if the demand is, like, going to be so much for... Like, it's going to be there that much for foils. What do you think, Seth? I think I think it could be. The, another thing to look at is it could potentially fit into tiny leaders. Like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I think Doran is a good general or commander, whatever we call them, for tiny leaders. And I think that would slot into the deck as another way to work well uh, when your Doran's been getting killed and you can't recast it right away to still have that effect available so all your walls can still get in. Yeah, yeah, you make a great point. So foils definitely could be a play at some point. Um, any kind of final thoughts on, on the card? All right, let's move on to Colgan's Command. So the only... Command left is the green-white one, right? We don't have that one yet, Tramoka? Right. Correct. All right, so as of today, 310. Um, so Colgan's Command, one generic, black, and red. Instant, choose two. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Target player discards a card. Destroy target artifact. Colgan's Command deals two damage to target creature or player. So, Richard, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is in the runnings for one of the best commands. Uh, to me, so far, it's between this and the red-green one. Uh, this card always guarantees you a two-for-one. No matter which two modes you choose, you're going to get a two-for-one out of the deal. Um, so the, the instant speed discard is intriguing to me, because you can always use it uh, during your opponent's draw phase and just make them discard whatever they drew, as long as it's not an instant. Uh, so I like this card. Uh, shock and discard a card, I think, is playable for three. Uh, if you get a artifact, I don't know how many playable artifacts there are in standard right now, but just nabbing a random artifact can be very good. And returning a creature from the graveyard to your hand can be very good, depending on the deck. So I like all the modes, and it's always a two-for-one for three mana, so I think it's good. What do you think, Seth? Cole against Command. 
Well, I said the same thing about the blue-black command, but Colgan's command to me feels like it costs one too many. Like, if you look at those abilities, it's really four one-mana abilities. You have, like, uh, Disentomb, you have Funeral Charm, uh, Smell, and Shock, which I get the flexibility part, but do you really want to pay three for two two-mana or one-mana effects? Well, I mean, when they're stapled together on one card, I guess it makes sense to add the extra mana onto it, since you have that versatility and you don't have to play two separate cards. To me, this feels so like that, a charm. It feels like one of the charms from uh, Return to Ravnica, yeah. but it costs three instead of two. Well, but yeah. would you pay one mana to draw a card? That's uh, what it basically is, right? <laughs> You're paying the one mana tax to draw your card. Well, if that card is smelt... I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it's fine, but this one doesn't excite me, really. Like, I I can see how it can be good, and you can get a two-for-one from it, but it didn't really stick out to me when I first first read it over. You're just biased. You don't like red. You can just admit it. (laughs) I I do like black, though, so it evens itself out. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm going to go with Richard here. I, I think it's a good card. I don't know, like, how good yet. Like, I don't know, like, the instant speed discard, like, how that will come into play in standard. Obviously, you really don't want this in Legacy, so that's out, right? Um, so, really, that leaves Modern, and do you really, like, want this in, like, an 8-rack type deck? I don't know. Um, getting a creature back is certainly good in, like, a very, um, in, like, an aggro deck, but... At three mana, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm more leaning to Richard, though. I think it could see play more than not seeing play, to what you said, Seth. And remember, you can use this to return your Liliana legendary Planeswalker thing <laughs> back to your hand to get another Planeswalker <laughs> with Magical Origins. <laughs> you can do that. So that's just really looking ahead there. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, yeah, that's what I think about that. I, I think it's pretty good. I, I just... They all seem like, like, all the commands really kind of seem like, at the last second, they, like, kind of neutered them, you know? Yeah. I, Does that, is it, do you feel that way? I can kind of see that. Like, they stuck one extra, to me, it feels like they stuck one extra mana on a lot of them, just to be safe and make sure they weren't too good. Yeah. Like, I, I felt like, yeah, exactly what you just said. I, I, I felt they didn't really want to, like, repeat Cryptic Command. So they kind of just, like, at the very last second, they're like, oh, yeah, let's just, like, bring it back a little bit. Because you're right, this would be a lot better at two mana. But I don't know, like, how much, like, do you think it would be that much better at two mana, Richard? I don't know. I think the red-green one, you know, if that's two mana, that's fine. I think Ojitai's command at three mana would be too good. So this one, I think at two mana would be okay. It would be better. Uh, I don't. It might not be broken, so I think it'd be okay at two. But I think three is okay too. Like I don't think it's so overcosted that you're not going to play it. So it, it might take it from being the best card to just a good card. I think three is fine. Yeah. So any kind of final thoughts before we go? We're gonna now talk about collected company. So before that, no, nothing. No. All right. So collected company and this one is getting a lot of attention, and rightfully so, I think, um, because of its implications in other formats. All right, so Collected Company, three generic and a green instant. Look at the top six cards of your library, put up 
to two creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So, Richard, what do you think? So a lot of people are hyped up over this card. I don't really understand why. Well, I don't play modern, so I'll let you guys talk about that. In standard, I don't think it's going to be too good. Like, you're going to have to build your deck with a lot of uh, low-costed creatures, and then if you're doing that, I don't know why you want to play Collected Company. Um, so I think people are excited for modern, so I'll let you guys talk about modern. Yeah, so let's, let's hear it, Seth, before I chime in. Well... I don't know. I can see everyone's excited because you can run the Malira uh, combo birthing pod with this card in theory. I'm not sure how consistent that'll be. Like looking at six cards is a lot different than picking the card you need out of your entire deck, which birthing pod let you do. So I'm not sold, but I'm not an expert on that deck. So what do you think, Chaz? I know that you've, uh, you're kind of high on this card, right? Yeah. I, I looked at this and I think this is going to be the best version of Birthing Pod you're going to get. <laughs> like, if that makes any sense. Like, this is a fair Birthing Pod, and I think this is where Wizards is kind of dictating to the player base. It's like, all right, so we're not going to give you Birthing Pod, but we're going to give you this instead. And, you know, you mentioned, Seth, six cards is a lot different than going and tutoring for a creature. But when... You know, your deck is all creatures like in Birthing Pod, and you're just running this, you're most likely going to hit two just from uh, playing this card. So it's kind of like a very restrictive Birthing Pod, but I think it could spawn something in Modern around this card. I think people are just kind of upset that Birthing Pod's gone, and they'll find any excuse to play something like it. So (laughs) (laughs) I guess... I guess that's, like, where I am about it. Yeah, now that you mention it, if you think about it, this is, like, dig through time for a creature deck, where you get to just drop them into play. So that sounds absolutely broken. So maybe this actually is a really, really good card. (laughs) Like, if you can build a deck full of three mana or less creatures, then this is actually a really good card. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people uh, first initially thought hate bears with this, and... You know, I didn't think it would work at first because I'm like, well, I mean, you're playing cards that are, like, increasing spell costs. But, I mean, even at five mana, getting, like, two hate bears instantly into play, you know, well, four mana definitely is very good. But even if, like, you have a Thalia in play, you know, getting the hate bears out instantly at the end of their turn or in response to something seems incredible to me in that deck. Uh, in terms of, like, just spawning another, like, very birthing pod, a lot of uh, silver bullet type deck, I mean, it could work. The fact that it's instant speed, uh, I think, is very intriguing because you could do a lot of uh, weird stuff to your opponents where you can just leave it up at the end of their turn or in response to something and suddenly now have two creatures on the field that are doing something. I, I think it's very good. It's more tailored to modern than it is standard right now. I can buy it as a value card. Like if you're playing a bunch of a bunch of low drops and you just want to get some value out of this card, I can see that. But as far as running uh, Vasira uh, Scryer, Seer, and Malira and Kitchen Finks, like you're either going to have to run four of those cards, or what are your odds of hitting your one of Malira that you need to combo off the next turn in your top six cards? 
Like, so yeah. I can see it as a value card, but as a combo piece, I'm not sold. Yeah, I'm not sold as a combo piece either because you have to have one of those creatures in play already. And then you have to nail the other two. Yeah, that's pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's like a lot of variables going on. Yeah. Yeah, as a, as a combo, like, enabler, I don't think it's there. As a value card, absolutely. There's a lot of good cards, three-costed and under, that are in modern. So even just getting four mana for two Tarmogoyfs <laughs> uh, at instant speed is pretty good. Yeah, my, uh, my nightmare is someone getting Thalia and Gaddock Teague. I, I could never win after that in modern. If you get yeah, those especially cards. At, yeah, especially at instant speed. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I can't stress instant enough because uh, that kind of opens the door to a lot of different things, disruptive things that you can do in modern in that kind of deck. So you can end um, of turn kill someone. So if they're playing fairies, you can end of turn get two eight nine goys and hit them for sixteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. It also uh, it also hits the pieces um, from the twin deck too. You can get both of the creatures, well, maybe the Tarmo twin builds. Yeah, could be as a as like a weird one of like tutor something like like a not really a tutor. I mean, I guess to, yeah to get a Pestermite or a Deceiver Exarch at the end of turn. The only, the only thing I don't like about that uh, specifically for like twin is you have to have the twin in hand, and you'd feel kind of silly uh, flipping the twin that you needed like away from this like off the top six that, that's a good uh, point kind of just be kind of just be awkward oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah um, fetch land you know i shuffle them back <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah so uh any kind of final thoughts on collected company no not really i mean i think it'll i think it'll see play somewhere i'm just not a get, exactly sure where i think it's going to take a little while to figure out what this card really can do yeah, me too. I still think it's a lot better in modern than it is in standard right now. I just don't like ah in standard four mana for like two three costed. I mean, I don't know. I'm just not seeing it in standard as much as I am for modern. But yeah, so that kind of wraps up our spoiler talk, um, and that kind of wraps it up honestly for the podcast. Any kind of final thoughts on anything that we talked about or anything in general, you guys? Uh, so why don't you do the spoilers for Battle for Zendikar start? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've had spoilers nonstop for like two months now. Well, so I'm assuming we'll just chain right into the next one. <laughs> yeah, well, get ready because sooner, soon, uh, right around the corner is going to be Modern Masters 2 spoilers. And then not so long after that is Origin spoilers. So... Pretty, we're pretty packed, right? Like, yeah. I feel like so much goes on. Like, like what's Wizards going to do in the fall? Like, how are they going to keep up this, you know, well, this they hype that they're generating? Well, yeah, after Zendikar, I mean. I don't know. I guess they're going to have to really have these two set blocks, like, down pat. Because, I mean, that's the whole point of switching to this cadence, right? Is because they want to, like, keep people interested in these blocks. And it's like, easier to design them, so they should be all really good, right? And that's what I'm getting from this. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there is going to be a gap, though. There's always a big gap between the fall set and the spring set. So, I don't know, maybe everyone's going to need a couple months to catch their breath after how busy the first half of this year is. Yeah. I mean, I know a few players, like, even just from Twitter, 
um, you know, Gulo even mentioned, he's like, dude, I can't believe, like, Dragons of Tarkir spoilers are already going on. Like, I barely have, like, Fate Reforged stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Richard, like, this stuff's going by fast. Um, so I guess before we wrap things up, so Richard, is there anything Legacy playable right now? No, I, I don't really <laughs> see so. Maybe the red-green command, I don't know. But I'm, I'm expecting some, like, random sideboard card to show up. But as a Legacy player, you don't really get your hopes up whenever you see a new set. Uh, like, very rarely does anything ever come in. You know, We're not going to get a new Jace anytime soon. So. <laughs> the life of the Legacy player, right? Yeah. What would you be hoping for? Like, just someone that plays Legacy. I don't even know. Like... Something that creates a new archetype, like Gristlebrand or something. I, I have no idea. Legacy's in a pretty sweet spot now, so it's not really needing anything to make it better. But just seeing like cool new powerful cards and people will just boo things up. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, that about wraps it up for episode ten. So Dragons of Tarkir spoilers, and when we meet next time, we'll have even more spoilers since we're not completely there yet. So we'll talk about more of that. And um, yeah, that about does it for episode 10 and here on the MTG Goldfish podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining in, everyone.